let the hogs out. Welcome. To Hog Planet. The podcast where we weigh, tag, and grade all of the hogs of culture, of political life. We're trying to keep it light for you, so we're talking about some movies today. And, you know, I'm Dance Paventa. I am quarantined in Brooklyn um, with my cohort here in Washington, Sam. Uh, Sam, how are you? Ah, you know, I'm doing all right. I'm also quarantined. I'm wearing the mask outside. Um, I think I've started to see more adoption of the mask lately. It's a, I think it's a good thing. Dan, are you masking? Are you mask on for coronavirus? Yeah, I had the uh, I had the, I had a scarf on, which is definitely uh, saving lives. I, That's I, pretty, I, man. Yeah. I, I should be considered a first responder. Okay. <laughs> well, um, at least your aerosol isn't just like flying freely on the streets of Brooklyn. It's a good thing that I'm sure the listeners will want to hear. Yeah. So you know, the, the movies we selected today come from our guest. Uh, a theme he wanted to explore was a twenty four. And uh, I'm really happy to have my good pal, Darian Lusk, a comedian, a fellow Jew. I'm, I'm on your close friends on Instagram, and that's a real thrill for me. H- how's everything? You, you're, you're coming to us from an undisclosed location. Thank you. Hi, Dan and Sam. I'm so excited to be on the pod. Um, yeah, please. I, I'm coming from Westchester, New York, which is... I can't really share more details than that, you know, or else I would be compromising a lot of people. It's pretty high that, level. One thing I found was really funny was a couple of weeks ago, you tweeted your mom drove through New Rochelle where it was like locked down just to like check it out. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, she, w- she was like, she was like, I wanted to see what it was like. Um, she said that there were like news trucks. Yeah, she was got a little curious. We're very close to the, ground zero of the virus which is new rochelle which was like the first case in new york i feel like so it's pretty exciting to be part of history and i'm really excited i i um i'm excited to talk about a24 sort of like our generation's like hipster movies and you know uh, we're gonna get a little hipstery like a little artsy and i think a24 I don't know if we said this yet. We're going to focus on Midsommar and The Lighthouse. The kind of movies that, you know, it's art, it's, but, it's, but it's got big actors in it. Like, that's what A24 <laughs> makes, right? It's, it's younger directors usually. It's not, you know, it's Uncut Gems was like the bi- big one from the last few months. Why do we look at these movies? I think that, you know, they're a little bit left. They're a little bit like, they're like, you know, I'm not like the other girls of movies, you know, they're like, like a guy who's, who like has one earring, like one dangle earring of movies, you know, it's like a little, a little like, like a little different, a little bit like implied that they're better than you um, and a little bit gay. And I think that that's important too, that they're very, that they're kind of gay a little bit. 
Other Just, studios wear short shorts. A24 wears t-shirts, to quote Taylor right. Swift. Other movies are, are cheer captains, but A24 is on the bleachers. There you go. Again, the theme today is gay 24. We are looking at <laughs> two movies that I think we, it's, it's safe to say there's definitely some homoerotic uh, undertones, overtones. Are they under what's uh, under or over? I, I, middle I, tone, I think. Medium, middle. I think the tones are, yeah, they're over, they're under, they're tops, they're bottoms. They're, yeah. they're gay tones. Uh, before we go into these. Uh, <laughs> Everyone already hates me. <laughs> no, they don't. This, this is, is a, Hog no, Planet. We are, we are inclusive. Good, uh, good. Call okay. me now. The listeners are cheering at this moment. Oh, good. Um, I just wanted to look at the box office rankings for 2020 so far. <laughs> Top 10 real quick. Underwater, which I don't know what that is. Fantasy Island, uh, the remake of The Grudge. Uh, n- number seven is The Call of the Wild with Harrison Ford. Number six, The Gentleman, that shitty guy, Richie movie. Uh, number five, The Invisible Man, which actually looked pretty good. It's like the Blumhouse, uh, Elizabeth Moss, a horror movie. I saw uh, it. I can vouch for The Invisible Man. It's pretty good. Uh, Birds of Prey at number four. And then the top three are where it gets interesting. Birds of uh, Prey was the last movie I saw in theaters. It, it was a good way to close it out. <laughs> yeah, perhaps the last movie you will ever see in theaters. True. All right, the top three in order. Uh, number one, Bad Boys for Life. Number two, Sonic the Hedgehog. And number three... Robert Downey Jr.'s Doolittle. Darren, what do we think of this list of probably the last movies ever to come out in theaters? I would say not a year for movies. (laughs) (laughs) Just out of the gate, I would just say. But I, and I think it's kind of hard because, you know, like this virus came down right as, you know, like, like they had to delay James Bond and it's definitely going to affect the spring and early summer blockbusters. But I think that that's a very unfortunate list. Yeah. It's particularly when you think about Doolittle, you'd have to be pretty cynical to be like, oh, the best movie, the third best movie that came out this year is Doolittle. The Grudge is on there too. Like a a derivative remake of what was already, when it first came out in the US, a very derivative (laughs) J-horror like remake. So it's like a Xerox of a Xerox, just awful. Uh, I haven't seen it, but I am willing to say that I believe it is far inferior to the movie Hadako versus Sayako in which it, it is some very low budget movie that I saw, I think on, on Amazon, like Shutter channel that has the protagonist or the villain of the grudge fighting the villain of the ring. And it, it bangs. I can't recommend it higher. I think we should start with Midsommar because it's a little more like, like I think more people have seen it. And I think that it's like a, a good transition into the world of, of gay 24. Uh, I remember we saw it together uh, before the end of civilization. Yeah, we saw it together on July 4th, which honestly, like a pretty patriotic way to spend the, the holiday. Midsommar directed by Ari Aster, who directed Hereditary, uh, which we've talked about on this show before. Sam 
it, to me, he is a 24, you know? Yeah, I was going to say, I think Hereditary was the first movie that I was aware of as an A24 film. And uh, the first time I got into like the studio, I guess. But Hereditary and Midsommar do share some similarities. They're both horror movies. There's, with both of them, there's like an emphasis on, I want to say like artistic products. In, in Hereditary, the, the mom and the family makes these elaborate miniature sculptures and mili- miniature homes and like towns and that becomes a kind of like a motif or at least a symbol throughout that movie and then in Midsommar there's all these tapestries and other kinds of etched artwork uh, in the Swedish town that most of the events of the movie take place in and both of them are used as these kinds of visual images of what's about to happen to the characters and it's a good way of like foreshadowing the events of the film, but it also is just a kind of clever, you're asking what is the most Ari Aster thing about both of them. That's what stands out to me is this, uh, at least visually. The other element I would say is his psychological horror and family-based horror, but with at least visually the most, the thing that sticks out to me the most is his use of these artistic motifs. If we're going to describe the plot, uh, the first 10 minutes, they should have used the music from the beginning of Up, you know, the cartoon. <laughs> it opens with just scenes of winter and Swedish folk singing that is reused as a kind of motive throughout the movie. There's the tapestry, which I described earlier, which shows basically the events of what's about to happen. But since you don't know the characters or have any context yet, it's a clever way to do foreshadowing, but it doesn't really give away the plot because you don't even know what the movie's going to be about yet. But if you rewatch the movie, when you see the tapestry, you're like, oh, that's literally what just fucking happens in this whole movie. It's sort of like there's a foretelling in terms of like what the artwork in each movie is uh, depicting. It's, it's almost like the character's fate is already decided and in each case, I think that the characters are almost like their will is taken away, like their freedom of choice is taken away. And they're both, in both cases, sort of put in this scenario where they're doomed. Yeah, they're kind of like pieces on a chessboard or something like that. Uh, I don't know if that's like a, I guess chess, you manipulate the pieces and you, so maybe it's not the best example. That's my dumb guy example of what this yeah, looks they're pawns. Sort of like. like they're, they're putting yeah, exactly. Cases, they're putting yeah. like pawns in their place in, in both movies. I think that's a good way to put it. There is a sort of dread that opens the movie where uh, Danny, played by Florence Pugue, she's receiving these messages from her sister. And you could tell something really bad's about to happen, right? The second the thing starts. So, like, what do you think is the effect of that? The first thing we know about Danny is uh, this horrible event in her life. And that's basically the only thing we know about her. Right. Um, so, I think that there's this interesting thing. Like, she's in sort of this queer relationship. It's a little bit gay because you can't tell who in the relationship is sort of, like, the um, toxic one so at first you think it's her because it seems like she's like being like babe let's go home babe let's go home and she's sort of like dating this guy that's been going for a long time and she keeps complaining about her sister but then you know it sort of switches because it's like oh like there actually is something wrong like 
like she gets all these emails from her sister but then there's one that's like goodbye like forever basically but i would say that what the sister does is very queer as well uh just in the sense that it's very melodramatic um it's it's sort of like this big sort of gay gesture basically uh christian her boyfriend says that he's smoking res with his yes. boys and then we are we are plunged into what appears to be her childhood home these sort of roving like overhead shots uh very like uh what's them enter the void or something uh w- w- a murder suicide is would that be the correct term yeah i believe it's a murder suicide perpetrated by perpetrated by terry the older sister against their parents and this is the traumatic event that sets i guess danny on a kind of a downward spiral which is not made better by her her queer relationship with a man who is not quite a man honestly and his name's christian so again uh it's kind of funny all this sort of pagan imagery that we will uh we will see in this movie midsummer obviously that title you know, it's, it's this sort of Swedish, Switzerland. Yeah, I think so. No, Sweden, right? not Switzerland. Yeah. <laughs> Swedish people come from Sweden. Swiss people come from Switzerland, I think. I mean, they're all white. Who cares? <laughs> Absolutely true. <laughs> Christian stumbles over in the snow to Danny's place. Uh, she's, you know, he doesn't want to be a dick about it, but his friends are like, dude, you got to break up with her, man. She's like, she's super annoying and clingy and like, all of a sudden, that the, the whole idea that you would leave uh, this person is out the window. Really her whole like, family's dead. Yeah. Her whole family's dead. And Christian is, I think, the epitome of the, the worst tendencies of a nice guy in a relationship. The only reason he doesn't want to break up with her, really, is because he doesn't want to seem like a bad guy. There's nothing really material forcing him to stay in the relationship with her. And they tend to... I mean, they don't seem very happy together, which gets explored as the movie goes on. And supposedly this is like a, an allegory for Ari Aster's relationship. And this movie he made just at, while he was going through a very bad breakup. And it's kind of, it has some of those elements in it. But he just absolutely doesn't want to seem like a bad guy, which is why he's like, oh, now I can't break up with her. When it's like, I mean, you could. And staying in the relationship and being a miserable partner and being bad to your girlfriend isn't like any better than just be doing the right thing and ending the relationship. But I don't know. That's, it does set the stage. We then go to this extremely painful to watch party scene where uh, Christian reveals that, uh, or he doesn't reveal, but his friends reveal that they have like a, a boy's trip to to Sweden and Chris, Christian is not told Danny absolutely unequivocally like this relationship is absolutely toxic. Uh, would you agree? Yes. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> the boyfriend's whole demeanor is like this classic like but babe, like babe, like don't worry. Like he's like that guy, like the babe guy. Like yeah. he's just such a fuck. Like I don't want to curse, but he's like such a like, like he's just clearly like it, you very quickly realize he's a shitty boyfriend. But basically, the rest of him and his grad school boys are like all going on this kind of like what like apparently this wild trip to Sweden to this festival, and she and she uh, like just wants to come because I think that she's like really up for anything right now. 
um, which is in itself queer. Like she's like, <laughs> I'm down for a festival. Like I'm, I'm in this up for anything mindset. And then they have like a little fight and he like deflects it basically. And is like so shitty about it. He, he like makes her apologize. Isn't he like, at first he's like, well, I'm not sure if I'm going. And then later, um, in order to continue to be the nice guy, he invites Danny, but he tells his friends like, don't worry, she's not going to want to come. And then of course she does end up going with them because she's completely alone, <laughs> like has no family left or anything. She's like a real orphan. Of course, his friends are all like, come on, bro. Why you got to bring the old ball and chain to Sweden I or know. whatever? I don't even think he's, like, nice. It's, like, guilty. He's, like, guilty. Yeah. And he's not man enough to, like, stand his ground or, or really do anything. So it's, like, which is queer. <laughs> um, so, so, yeah, so he's, like, you can come along, basically. Like, all of his other friends seem very very much like focused PhD students, uh, especially Josh, his one friend who really is like the expert on the Midsommar festival that they're about to go observe. But Christian doesn't have any like drive. This comes up later on when he basically steals Josh's entire thesis idea. But I don't buy him as like a, de- a dedicated PhD student because he just doesn't seem to care about anything. It seems like he's just daily trying to escape monotony and like his only end goal is like we said earlier smoking resin with his friend mark and eating pizza that like he's just so unmotivated and has no his his relationship is shitty because he has no drive like he said he's kind of not really man enough to right. say what he wants but he also doesn't seem to know what he wants at all i don't, I don't get any sense to. of him which, which is queer having any reason to be alive <laughs> yeah no for sure and i think also like i don't know i don't want to i don't want to be political but i would venture to guess that his parents are paying for his grad school in full i would agree yes. yeah <laughs> i get he's that like that guy who, who's like going through grad school just because he doesn't know what he wants to do so he's like doing school more strong which is queer <laughs> it is a strong indictment of uh, of, of graduate uh, sort of students i think sarah can we go through the the friends for a second you have josh who is portrayed by the guy who plays uh, Cheedy on The Good Place. It's like bizarre. You got Will Poulter, who's kind of, uh, who does he play? The one who was like vaping the whole time. Yeah. Oh, that guy's name was Mark. Mark. In the movie, right. yeah. And then you have Pele, and uh, this is the, the guy from Sweden who's like bringing them into his sort of family's uh, cultural event he baits them which is queer thank you (laughs) um and you can tell uh there's a certain like sexual tension between him and danny uh he's like this cute european boy let's let's say uh he's more of a feminine energy He's also a Mr. Steelio girl. I mean, on da- on Danny's birthday, he he's like, oh, it's nothing, but I drew a, like a very detailed and beautiful sketch of you, which I'm now going to give to you. And then he manages to give her a gift on her birthday before Christian gives her a gift for her birthday. He seems or to forget that it is her birthday. birthday. Well, Christian yeah. didn't get her shit. Yeah, he gets her a piece but, of bread with a fucking candle in it, and he, he can't even light the candle. It's he one forgot. of the most brutal scenes ever. I know it's really cringy. Well, yeah, he like forgot her birthday, and then goes like gets a piece of cake from the Midsomar Bakery, um, <laughs> and then is um, like hey, he's definitely made with pussy hair. If, as long as we're on the topic, oh, I know well, everything there get, is. Let's not get ahead of ourselves here, uh, boys. Um, I want to mention this cool shot though of when Danny like like Pele like mentions like I've also been through loss, and Danny just runs into the bathroom to cry, and then 
it just suddenly she's crying in the bathroom on the uh, airplane to Europe. Right. So, Which is queer. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry, I just, I just, I'm no. really into queer theory right now. I just took a master class taught by Judith Butler. So I'm really, um, I'm really obsessed with queer theory. And I, and I think that it rings true for these films. A hundred percent. And again, this is gay 24. We are talking about Midsommar. Um, uh, uh, we're in Sweden and Pele whisks them. Uh, you know, th there's no, no time for fun and games. Pele whisks them to this, this village. And this village has, uh, you know, where his like family is like about to engage in their Midsommar you know, midsummer, I guess, uh, ritual. And one thing I found that was so interesting is Hereditary is such like a dark movie, and in this movie, it's 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 like the horror of the daytime, um, right? Because it's it's the far north. It's like a rural town in Halslingland in Sweden, and in the far north in the summer, you get like twenty hours of sunlight every day, which is yeah. hell for anyone selling celebrating Ramadan who lives up there. <laughs> it's like a 20, 20 hours straight period where you're not allowed to ingest anything. I but, don't think uh, there are many Ramadan people up there. It's pretty white. And that's not, that's okay for me to say, I think. I'm not sure, actually. We can cut that. <laughs> no, it's, no it's, it's being observed. And this but, is like the whitest, this is like yeah. the most like pale, pasty uh, crew. Crew. Um, they're dressed in these kind of white, flowery garb. Definitely mixtures of different like European sort of old timey, like. It's like their version of Colonial Williamsburg or something. Uh, <laughs> right. So. so Danny's like weeping in the airplane bathroom uh, over her uh, like dead family. And then <laughs> hours later is accepting a handful of mushrooms. Uh, sounds like a recipe for a great trip. Th th that is another extremely painful scene where, like, what Pele's brother comes out of nowhere and is like, Hi, do you want to do in mushrooms with me and my friends? And then, like, Mark, the party boy, is like, Hell yeah, let's do them right now. And, like, all of their friends are about to do it. Christian can see that, that, that Danny is a little apprehensive about it. As we said, she was just crying on the airplane about her dead family. And she, and then he's like, Maybe I'll wait for Danny. And then they're all like, Bro, we cannot uh, start tripping at different times. It's gonna be completely different trips. And they like do some kind of like bro psychonaut lingo to him to convince him to pressure Danny into doing the shrooms. But it's clearly a terrible idea. And I mean, you don't need to tell me to tell you where this goes. Obviously, they have like a shroom trip, and she completely has a bad trip and runs off into the woods by herself and passes out. <laughs> Uh, wakes up hours later uh it's a pretty one of those scenes that's like kind of like oh it's realistic you know it's like like it was a realistic trip yeah. that's i feel like that's what everyone was saying like this is a realistic trip like the most realistic portrayal of tripping i've seen in film <laughs> um but it was a, it was good but i also feel like she was pretty down to take the shrooms and i don't think it was like she wasn't like i've never done anything like that like it seems like she was maybe a festival girl in a past life and i and i feel like it was like she was like, I don't want you like this at, like now. But then it was like, I think she was chill with it. Yeah, and she didn't yeah. want to like harsh their vibe. You know, again, she's like along the ride yeah. for the boys trip here. Right. You got to you gotta kind of like, yeah, you got to yes and. And is that <laughs> queer? Yes. <laughs> it's um, queer to get, to get uh, uh, peer pressured into taking drugs 
uh, is definitely queer, especially if you're on Fire Island. But <laughs> but if you're in Midsommar, it's it's queer too. Halsling Land might be the the Fire Island of Sweden. We don't know exactly. So uh, Mark is constantly vaping, and you know he's very you know seemingly like out of place. They're they're definitely sort of like ugly American stereotypes there, whereas. Josh, uh, the other friend, is very like respectful, and he seems definitely like you said to be the most serious student. But he kind of fetishizes their culture a little bit. Absolutely, and we'll get to that. We'll get to that. Yeah. Um. So, Danny wakes up from the mushroom trip. Uh. You know, it's been hours later. Uh, it's still daytime, which is kind of weird. Uh. Definitely creates a vibe. Almost reminded me of like you know the way like torture uh mechanisms would be to like keep someone in daylight for you know 24 hours sorry that's my dog we love love it you have the the scene where danny uh is uh given that drawing by pele for her birthday christian has forgotten and then you still get the sense that pele like cares about christian uh at this point uh because he's like Bro, I don't want to like, bro, I don't want to harsh your vibe or anything, but just so you know, it is Danny's birthday. <laughs> Christian, oh, the cringy ass scene where um, he's like, you didn't think I forgot. <laughs> I wrote in my notes, Christian equals cringe skin. Yeah. <laughs> and, and then, then he's course- trying to light the, the candle and he can't like light it, which is cringy. Yeah, he can't keep the flame lit between them. As it's it's a, a metaphor. Really oh, ob- obvious uh. metaphor. Yeah. And <laughs> wow. it's even more brutal when they meet the what I call the good couple. The what it's Simon and Connie, and they're from like London. They're friends of Pele's brother. In every scene, they had their arms around each other. They're clearly like deeply in love. The couple comparison scene is so fucking brutal to me because you know I'm engaged. I'm in like a long term relationship. I'm always feeling myself com- compared to other couples. And oh, congratulations, um, Sam. Oh, thank you, Darian. But uh, either way, they. So not only does Christian not know her birthday, he also doesn't seem to know when their anniversary is. And the other couple has been together for less time than them, but they're already engaged. Uh, Christian literally, when he, when they start talking about their engagement, looks away and like, changes the subject very quickly once they find out that the other couple's engaged. And uh, it's just so much more obvious. How, like they're such a foil to danny and christian because danny and christian just seem to like are usually are in are like six feet apart from one another in the scenes like they're very rarely like like holding on to one another or anything like which that. which is like, queer <laughs> okay uh, now, oh, all my criticisms way, of christian as a bad boyfriend have no bearing on his queerness this is a right your interpretation that is i'm not sl- he's you know he's living his truth his body in that space is telling a voice that's no big deal. But from as, as I see Christian and myself as a shitty like male partner in a hetero relationship, and he's just I don't know. He's not making us the boys look good. I, I agree, especially Bernie Bros, because you know he was a Bernie Bro on some level, and I and I think that that's unfortunate because I, I think that he was a shitty guy, but he definitely liked Bernie and. And would post like on Instagram, like just give twenty five dollars. Like you know, you you know he was that guy too. Unfortunately, um, also just just something um to get excited for like a 
a carrot on the end of a rope, so to speak. I, I wrote down my top five most queer characters from Midsommar um, for the end uh, when Fantastic. we do the analysis portion. I think at this point we should describe uh, where things really take a turn at the cliffs. The Atastupa. <laughs> Sam, what the fuck happens at the cliffs? This is when... Uh, you know, if you watch the trailer and you're sitting in the theater or wa at home watching this movie, you know something happens where, uh, uh, you know, it's like, <gasps> gasp, because you see mm -hmm. the reactions in the trailer, but you don't know what they're reacting to. So what is the ritual here? This is basically what conservatives think that old people should be doing right now in the coronavirus <laughs> pandemic crisis. But they... Apparently, in Halslingland or whatever, they have a ritual where the oldest people uh, have to climb on top of a ledge and then jump off so that they die. And it's beautiful. It's it's they're tr they're living their truth. I, I can't say anything bad about it. It's all cultural relativism. But needless to say, <laughs> this produces an effect on the foreigners who were not exactly anticipating that they were going to see a bloodied corpse like fall and then like oh it's so brutal when the the man falls but he he does like the pencil dive as if he's like jumping off of the golden gate bridge or something and he just breaks the shit out of his feet and they show his fucked up legs and then like the the four people come up with like a ceremonial hammer and just beat his brains in it is it's like the first gore we get because even the murder suicide with Danny's parents is more like alluded to we don't see exactly the murder but this is the first time we get to see some real blood and guts in this you know ostensibly horror I, I think that it like changes sort of the tone of the film and sort of sets the stakes a lot higher because you're like oh it's this kind of movie and I think that that's sort of what the characters do too because they're like oh it's this sort of festival Yes, exactly. And there's also the same like Swedish singing, like the death folk music from the very beginning of the film before we're introduced to the murder-suicide in Danny's life. So that sort of returns as like a motive, letting you know that shit's about to get real. And there's definitely some classic Ari Aster like gore shots, uh, like you said, like with, where they crush the head with the mallet reminded me of the scene with the uh you know the beheading in hereditary and you see the head on the ground you get the sense at this point that there's no turning back like things things are going to go down it's like a cultural thing for these people to die uh, and like choose when they go out christian's even like we, we put our old people in the nursing homes <laughs> <laughs> just such shitty mansplaining to her I wouldn't say he's not shocked. I think he throws up, but everyone else is way more affected by this than Christian. Simon starts yelling, like, what the fuck happened? Why is that guy dead? And, like, and his and Connie is, you know, they're on the same energy, the same wavelength. They're both like freaked out about it. Whereas Danny and, and uh, Pele also can't look away. Danny starts seeing like, you know, hallucinating, I guess, that her parents are the ones who jumped and sees their dead bodies there instead of the old Swedish people's bodies. And yeah, Christian doesn't really make much of a, an attempt to be like, how did that affect you? It doesn't it isn't like come up to Danny to console her or anything until I after think, the fact. I think that, that the, the British couple represents like the audience. So I think that they're like more ground, like the most grounded. Yeah. So that they're the most like us. I'm, I'm doing analysis now. And then um, I'm analyzing it. And then um, the other characters like have too much stake in the game to really like be 
too affected by it. Like I think that the, the that the Chidi character is like too fetishized with the culture, to, and he knows what it is already, so he doesn't care. And then Christian's too much of a fuckboy to care. And then Danny's like, "This is my dad," so he do, she doesn't care. Um, so I think that they're all too like invested. You know, they're outsiders here. So at the end of the day, like they don't really get to decide the terms of like this world that they're in. And they want to seem chill. There's, you know, residual, uh, certainly shock. Um, the uh, British couple is still freaking out. And the ancestral tree is here. And this is like the tree of the elders. Yeah, uh, apparently Mark, who, as we mentioned before, he's the party boy. He's always vaping. He looks so out of place. He's constantly trying to get laid, too. He's like that, the one dude in the group who seems like, he's like, we gotta get some fucking pussy, bro. But then when you look at him, you're like, there's no way you're like actually like a promiscuous dude. You honestly look like sin. And he apparently, he is peeing on what he thinks is a dead tree, but one of the village people gets very fucking angry at him. Apparently is an ancestral tree. I believe the villager actually says, put your disgusting dick away in English, like broken English to Mark, which is one of the funnier scenes. I think it kind of does drill home something that like everyone can notice, any viewer of the movie can notice how out of place Mark especially, but all the Americans are. And this just goes to show that they're sort of, they're, it's sort of an, a, a symbol for what they're doing. They're in somewhere, they're interloping in something and kind of disrespecting something that they should not and something that's very dangerous. You know that he's not going to get away with, I mean, there's like literally like he pisses on like what is essentially like their ancestors' graves and he literally causes an old man to weep. <laughs> like, <laughs> Which is queer. <laughs> Um, Simon then apparently has left without Connie. The British couple has uh, apparently split up. You know, this this really disturbs Danny because she sees that. Oh, why would why you know they're like an actual functional couple? Why would Simon have left without his fiance? Christian does not give a shit and doesn't think it's weird at all. Well, Christian's also like rapidly dissociating at this point. And there is the scene when they're at the, you know, having this one long meal, this a massive table. And it's clear that Christian has been selected by the village for something, which we're not really clued into. But if you look at the tapestries, it kind of clues you into what's about to happen to him. If you look at his drink, it is a completely different color than everyone else's drink. Because as you may have seen in the tapestry, they're may or may not be menstrual blood and pubic hair swimming in that drink. There actually is. And it's not the first time either. There's the one scene where he eats like a meat pie and there's just a big old pube in there. In another line where you get the sense that in their relationship, there is no turning back. Danny says to Christian, I could see you possibly doing that and like leaving uh, me the way right. uh, Simon has left without Connie. Which is queer. <laughs> um josh uh and again he's the like actual serious academic uh christian and him have a tiff over uh the thesis idea basically christian now wants to do basically the same 
thesis as Josh and Christian being kind of a, you know, a bro idiot. Uh, you know, this is kind of a, a really fucked up thing to do to his pal. I remember distinctly uh, the moment, too, when you get the sense Josh uh, super fetishizes this uh, culture to a degree that uh, might be fatal to him. <laughs> they catch him trying to, what, take pictures of the the book that that is written by a a uh, physically and intellectually disabled person who is the result of inbreeding and it's supposedly the book that tells you know it's it's an ongoing document of what of the rituals in the village i guess and i believe that josh is caught photographing it because the, the i don't know the villagers had this weird thing throughout of like being really open to share their traditions with the stu- American students, but I-, I don't know if they s- they seem to like balk at the idea of them doing it as a research topic. Which I'm like, well, what the they're all PhD students. Like, what do you think they're doing here anyway? So I don't really get that. They've only been brought there for what happens in the ending. Yeah, like you get the sense that they're not leaving. So it's yeah. more like, oh, like yeah. No, you can do whatever, but also, like, it's not going to matter because th- this is a one-way ticket um, and you're going to, you know, sort of become a bear. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and we get to see that with Connie and Simon when they try to leave. It's, it's a fraught process and the villagers kind of dragging their feet. And then when they are, when both of them have gone missing, there's that one Swede who's just like, oh, oh yeah, I drive them back to the airport. Nothing bad happened at all. When like, you know, we're not buying it. And of course, later on, we see what happened to them and, and they did not make it out of the village. <laughs> Let's leave it at that. Right. Well, we, we also uh, see Mark led away by this, this girl he's been like eyeing. And when Josh is discovered taking pictures of their holy book, uh, when he was explicitly told not to, he is clobbered by uh, the uh, disabled uh, hunchback. Can you say hunchback? There's no way to say it without being problematic. So I mean, I I thought I thought this was actually like a terrible element of the movie. Probably like the worst part of it. Totally cuttable like you did not need to like show this like deformed sort of you know like quasimodo guy okay um, his name is ruben yeah and give him a chance because he is definitely well he's on my list and i don't want to spoil it but he's pretty high up he's pretty high up on the list in terms of the queer characters of the movie he loves to paint he's deformed he's sort of like yes. the Inbred prince of the village. I mean, not sort of. It seems like he literally is the inbred prince of the village. And they but, specifically uh, he, do inbreeding for him. He literally clobbers Josh uh, with with a, a blunt instrument wearing Mark's face as a mask. Big time. So two of our boys are dead uh, now. And, Christian and, and the couple has gone th- missing, yeah. Absolutely. Christian completely throws Josh under the bus too, saying that uh, like, cause they say like our holy book is missing to try to, I guess the Swedes were trying to imply that that was the reason Mark was, uh, or Josh was gone. Right. And that Mark, they assume was still uh, with that girl. So basically they're kind of like creating these little like alibis for them uh, as they're 
one by one disappearing. Uh, we then have the May Queen contest. Uh, Darian, what uh, do you recall most about this dance competition? So, okay, it's, it's uh, definitely queer. It's sort of like a little, they have like a little dance off and basically like the person who will last the longest is going to be the May Queen, sort of like the it girl of the neighborhood of the, of the tribe, of the, of the cult. Um, and you know right away that it's going to be Danny because, of course. And so she, she, it is, it's fun. And it honestly, like, like definitely queer. It's definitely um, like, uh, it's like their Olympics. You just, you know that she's going to win because when your parents die, you become a good, you know, Maypole dancer, I think. Also, I think everyone, like, during the, the pre, uh, like, dance-off meal, I think was, like, ripping on some sort of uh, hallucinogenic liquid, so there is a sense of that, too. Dan- Danny seems so much happier, like, dancing with her, with these random Swedish women that she seems, like, in the entire rest of the movie. It's almost like she kind of finds, like, her girls who support her through her shitty relationship and the shitty events recently, like, a community that she did not have up to this point. It's also the first time, like, when she wins the May Clean thing and they dress her up in the, you know, the, the garments and the flowers, it's, like, the first time she gets to wear anything that looks not like complete shit honestly like the wardrobe choices they made for that character for like the whole movie up to that point are awful she looks just like sort of like a 10 year old or like an auntie who no longer tries to look attractive i don't know a lot of like sweatpants and yeah like t-shirts and stuff she dresses like either an eight-year-old or someone over the age of 50 i don't know how it's both of them at the same time but that's what it is which is queer <laughs> this is where you see her get the iconic sort of like flower outfit it's expanded upon uh later it's a good arc though because i feel like christian just gets lower and lower on the rungs of the society as danny rises up and it's sort of like it's victorious for her because i feel like she was treated as so shitty in america and like her wife there sucked and, and you know she, no one was like on her side and here in Midsommar land, like, the, the, the people actually like her, and she wins the contest, and, like, the girls come to bat for her, and, you know, like, and she's kind of, like, 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 killing it over there. Also, the song that they sing for the May Queen sounds like the song at the end of the Grinch, How the Grinch Stole Christmas. <laughs> it sounds like the song that the Who people in Whoville sp- sing. Christian at this time, like like Danny even asks if Christian can come with her. Um, and they're like, no, no, don't, just don't worry about him. Uh, <laughs> and it is at this time that Christian wanders into this sort of hut. He's led there with rose petals. And all of a sudden, he is just in this, uh, this, this empty room with all of these like nude women, this very young girl who has been kind of trying to seduce him throughout his stay at the Mid Samar. She does this very- by slipping her pubes and 
menstrual blood into his food, which is, I mean, that, if that's not court trip, I don't know what it is. He is drugged uh, with uh, some liquid at the, the meal, but then he is also told to breathe in, for, breathe in for your vitality from this like <laughs> old man. <laughs> uh, and he's like, gets powder thrown in his face that I guess will like make him, uh, you know. Uh, Keep it up. Exactly. Uh, it'll have the effect of a blue chew, uh, not a sponsor of this podcast. Yes. Um, yes, that's true. Oh, God willing. Yeah, so he wanders into this, like, fuck hut, and all of a sudden, all these women, like, before you know it, are watching him mate with this young girl. A Christian has broken the bonds of his heterosexual relationship here. Which is queer. Yes. Uh, <laughs> uh, Sam, how It's polyamory. Like, he's just doing what... I mean, it's right. the dream. I don't know what to say. How weird is this? Is this scene though? Like, he, like this old woman, and again, it's a lot of these like older women who are nude. So it's like these like very imperfect bodies. Uh, one of them like grabs his hips and starts like thrusting him. Uh, yeah, they tell him when to come, and like the main girl who he's mating with is lo- like lying down on what looks like I don't know lettuce or something like that, like green a big foliage. Piece of big time and he's and yeah exactly the old ladies are like moaning in concert with her and one of them is pushing his ass and therefore like his dick and balls deeper into the woman they tell him when to come and everything and then afterwards the the woman he mates with is like lying back and sort of like in the in the big lebowski when maude is like this helps with the conception she's like rolling and like trying to get the 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 come to form a baby in her yeah and i i think we have to say two very uncomfortable things uh a uh was christian raped because he had been yes. drugged uh yes. I think, it's not I consensual think, no no there's no there's no chance that it was consensual and b uh how young do you think this girl is that he is uh mating with Oof. i i think the impl- implication is she's just started uh menstruating yeah it, it, it's problematic but you know that's their culture and that's their truth you know, you know, in America, we put our elderly in nursing homes, man. It's not like we're, it's not like we're, we have no blood on our hands. You know, in America, they won't let a, a woman under the age of 18 mate, but here in a, enlightened Sweden, none of those restrictions apply. You know, you said, Darian, that he seemed like a Bernie bro. Perhaps he's more of like a libertarian, uh, you know, age of consent guy. Uh, no. <laughs> okay. Um, no. I think he's a Bernie, bro. I stand by what I said. I think that he had the t-shirt on while he was fucking her. (laughs) Danny senses that something is off, right? Yeah. She she goes to check in on him, on her BF, and catches him in the act, I guess. And then they have that that thing that was all over Twitter of her, like... Like the, the shared female scream? Yeah, like dry heaving and reacting. And then, and then basically, like, first she's freaking out on her, on her own, but then as she's, like, uh, um, digesting the news and going through this, like, what she, what's happening, um, um, the other girls of the, of the 
commune like come over and are kind of like going through it with her and making it better for her by sort of like screaming with her and it's kind of a, like one of the best scenes of the movie i feel like it's like it's like she she for the first time is able to like process grief they give her more sort of empathy and genuine like sort of shared like energy and like than, than christian ever fucking does in the entire film right um, so it's nice. So they're like all screaming together. Then he gets turned into a bear. Well, okay. So Christian, <laughs> uh, Christian, I think hears Danny screaming as soon as he like comes. The women have no use for him anymore, and he kind of just runs out of the of the hut. And, and realize yeah, he's just, he, he looks did. awful too. His like ass is so pale, and like his <laughs> body is not toned at all. Hand over his like dick and balls completely like uh you know been sexually shamed essentially he's running around the village completely nude um and he's still tripping he realizes you know he hears danny wailing he sees josh's foot out of the ground so he realizes josh has been killed he then stumbles upon simon hanging like disemboweled and still seemingly breathing uh, yeah, very, kind of very this, Hannibal on NBC sort of imagery there. Yeah, kind of like stuffed with flowers. Yep. So Which is queer. Yes. He is subdued again with powder and wakes up in a wheelchair, uh, paralyzed. Uh, and Danny is just like that, that image of her just like covered in flowers, but kind of like frowning. That yeah. famous uh, image from this movie. She's wearing uh, like a flower burka. The leaders of the Midsommar, and again, I guess the only like people we came in with uh, that are still alive are like Danny, Christian, and Pele. Yeah, when you rewatch it, Pele just seems like such a sadist because he basically sets up this whole thing where his family will kill most of his friends except for Danny. <laughs> well, it seems like the, the rituals that they need a certain number of sacrifices every certain number of years. So basically Pele is like, supplying the bodies like he's getting some family points for sure getting some good credit with mom and dad because i guess that inevitably they needed people to come in to sacrifice and they didn't want to sacrifice their own people but it's like a culture that like that, that their religion is like based on sacrifice he's like a made man in the harga mafia yeah they say that nine need to die and be reborn Four new bloods, so we have Connie, Simon, Josh, and uh, and Mark. Nick. Mark. Mark. Right, Mark. Nick. Mark. Um, uh, the two elderly people who you know walked off the cliff earlier, uh, Ingmar, who is Pele's brother, and another uh, Swedish guy, and then one more has to be decided upon. Pele is rewarded for providing the uh, the May Queen for bringing right. Danny, so he will be spared. And Danny, as the May Queen, is allowed to decide and to decide Christian's fate. Exactly. So she is allowed to decide if Christian or somebody else will die. I think that for Danny to fully get over her, both. Like for her to get over her parents' death and and for her to be free in terms of her character or whatever to grow, like she needs to choose Christian basically for her as a protagonist, like to um, go full circle or whatever, like to evolve or to like achieve 
actuality, I guess. Like, to her be- becoming, like, woke or whatever. Becoming a woman. Yeah, to become a woman, which is queer. <laughs> so she decides that Christian will be sacrificed as the final in the nine to complete the Midsommar ritual. She is fully decided to embrace her, you know, uh, sort of... Her chosen family. Yes, she has a new family. She's doing Friendsgiving instead of Thanksgiving this year. And as as queers, we get to choose our family, as RuPaul famously says. As drag queens, we get to choose our family. And Christian did keep saying to respect their culture, so he almost the whole time, he's expressionless because he's been drugged and paralyzed, but you kind of get the sense from his facial expression that he's like, Okay, well, you know, I kind of deserve this. He's like that anyway. Like, throughout the whole movie, he's just like, well, I guess this is what I'm doing now. So when it comes down to whether he's going to be burned alive in a bear suit, he's just like, yeah. What else, What am I going to change my mind now? I'm going to grow a spine now? Come on. And uh, Ingmar and the others, Swede, who are sacrificed, are given this, like, painkiller drug so that they don't feel pain, and Christian is not. So he's just doesn't seem like the alive. best stuff, but yeah. no, no, because they Ingmar <laughs> is like screaming still. Yeah. So you definitely get the sense that Christian died very painfully. However, uh, and you know, uh, uh, just uh, surrounded by these like various other like bodies stuffed with like hay and flowers. So that's kind of this interesting image. Uh, and then we close the movie on these sort of serene final moments with uh, music. Yeah, and Danny finally is, like, smiling at this point. Now that Christian has been literally burned to the ground, she's finally, like, able to laugh again. And to, like, let go or whatever. The cultists sort of do, not just the women, but, like, they all share the pain of, like, Ingmar, who's, like, screaming. They all kind of start screaming that their, like, comrade is burning. Yeah. Um, so that, that, that was also a kind of interesting image to end the movie on this sort of screaming juxtaposed with Danny sort of smiling and realizing that she is she's you know found herself finally um and is this just Ari Aster like flogging himself like for feeling like shit uh that's what it really seems like yeah I mean I think that's a that's the way I read it was just he really feels like he was in the wrong in their in the breakup and christian maybe is a bit of a stand-in for him and if not for him entirely but definitely for like the way he feels like he acted in the relationship uh not being supportive or being a good partner or whatever and then it does seem at the end like christian gets what he deserves which i don't know if that's really true i don't know if he deserved any of this for any reason other than that he has no like he, like I said, he has no reason to be alive. He has no reason to do anything. And he just sort of goes along with it. That's what it ends up happening. And it's sort of like his, his own indecision is what undoes him in the end. What do you think the theme is that we all need to just like burn all of our past and to move on when we're grieving? Like what, what the fuck is Ari Aster saying here? I feel like the ending is sort of like something you would get out of a Greek tragedy or something like that, where there's everything is like we said earlier, foretold and predestined to the point that I, I don't know what anyone in the movie could have done differently. It doesn't seem like they had any choice. It's not like there's, I think the morals are more in the relationship side, but it's not like anything that they could have, that the people in the relationship could have changed. It seems like they were just sort of, uh, on this divine comedy and doing this, you know, waltz to the bottom towards their demise that 
was kind of unalterable in the end. That's the vibe I get from it. And it is a very A24 ending where, you know, there's a lot of like destruction, kind of ambiguous sort of, you know, joy. But, and I think that also it's like, um, it's a happy ending. Like it's sad for some characters, but it's a happy ending for the audience and for the main character because she like is able to find a new beginning for herself. Like, she, like it's kind of like an eat, pray, love, but more of like a, a sacrifice, pray, uh, die. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I have my list. So I am really excited for this, honestly. There's a lot of good characters in this movie, so I, I want the, the ones that you believe should uh, to get their due. Okay, so, so this is the top five most queer or gayest characters in Midsommar. So, so number five is the sister, the older sister. Um, Murder-suicide is queer. She's queer because she lives for the drama in the beginning. And she, she like, dies in a really melodramatic way. Um, so that's queer because she's, like, trying to stir the pot. Yeah, I think in her email she literally says I can't anymore. She's like one snotch away from I saying I can't, can't even. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, so that's like I feel like like that's just a really like attention seeking way to go. Not not suicide, but just like the way the theatrics of it are so queer. Yeah, I mean there's props. She she did uh, have to connect the hose yeah. in her parents' bedroom from the car. So. Yeah, it's like a theater piece. A tableau, if you will. Yes. Okay. My number four is the is the um the broken leg guy who jumped off the cliff but only broke his legs. Very <laughs> clear to do this. So it's like, first of all, he's bad at sports. Like he's not good at diving. So mm-hmm. that's clear. So like okay. he, he he's not good athletic wise. Like he didn't realize to land on his head. And the second of all is like to sacrifice yourself, but just um maim yourself is like so extra so he's gay and queer so that would be my number four he's also got to get those other people to come over and bash his head in with the hammer so it's a whole to do whole production very theatrical he he makes he makes a whole production out of it exactly (laughs) (laughs) okay my number three my number three is the guy who got mad that mark peed on the tree (laughs) <laughs> this guy is like so dramatic he's like crying about the tree and he's like he's like my tree my tree like so like just like he's like so sassy about the tree he's like such an attitude about it and like he's so like this is like you don't even know what you did like it's like at a gay club and you're like very like this is my dance circle like this is my like like you don't know what you just did like it's very bitchy gay um so he's number three <laughs> i mean and okay. telling someone to put your disgusting dick away is catty i, I like it i'm here for I it know, it's the fierce whole thing is so bitchy so yeah. bitchy okay number two is ruben the deformed um <laughs> like hunchback prince of midsomar and okay he's queer because like he loves to paint 
he's like different and he's like hidden away the whole time which is really queer he's like literally in the closet yeah he's literally in the closet um but he's like he's like the comp he's like the one that they like hide away and he's like the one who holds all the secrets so he's like mythical uh he's so it's so gay he's like sensitive um and he's like don't read my book (laughs) (laughs) don't read my diary (laughs) Yeah, so he's really queer. And then, okay, and then number one is the bear. Um, oh, wow. <laughs> the bear is really gay. And not, not like a pun about bears and gay culture, but just that, like, you know, you're having, like, like, like you're, you're, like. He has a man put inside him. Exactly. Yeah. And, and it's, like, he, he's just trying to, like, enhance the sacrifice. And he's, like, oh, like, you know, I'm just here to give my body to the sacrifice and, like, you know, make it make it a better ending, and like like, just very gay, and and, and um, he's like, I'm all about symbolism, and so he that's really gay. So that's my list, and I'm he's literally ready. dying for the fashion. He's dying. For, yeah, he's all. It's a fa- It's a. He dies to be an outfit. Such a diva. That is a great list. Uh, Thank you. Why is this like such a good gay twenty four example? I think this is a great gay example of. Gay 24, um, appealing to the masses. I think this was one of my favorite movies of, of 2019. I mean, it's so, like, tragic and easy to make into memes. You know, there were so many, like, memeable moments. And I think that it's just, like, such a fun little sassy little movie. And I uh, would recommend it to anyone. It's good for the quarantine also because it is an outdoor movie. You can get some vitamin D from watching the film. Yeah. And, In more and, ways than one. Who knows? <laughs> exactly. And also, it's like, you think you have it bad. You're not at the sacrifice. Why is this a Hog Planet movie? It feels like a Hog Planet movie. I mean, I think hog in our context is deeply tied to American culture specifically because we're all just very self-satiated, rolling around in our own muck. We're all covered in bristles and shit. All of the Americans in Harsa or whatever the village is called are all such sore thumbs. They all stick out so badly and they only one of them is really able to integrate. The others are just slaughtered. I mean, it's very hog planet because these hogs feel like they can just hop off to another side of the planet and feel like they can just, you know, either write about it in Josh's case or let their inertia continue unabated in Christian's case. And they all pay pretty much the ultimate price for it. So it's a good cautionary tile against being a kind of non-cosmopolitan American hog. I think at this time, we got to talk about The Lighthouse. I think this is a movie that's easier to summarize. It's a bit less plot-driven. It is... Two, it's two fellas. It's two guys. It, it's guys it, being dudes. I would in a giant phallus. Exactly. It's it's a it's a gayer movie than Midsommar. You wouldn't think it. But. Oh, I mean, at least Brokeback had women characters. The White House is two men in a lighthouse, like like drinking and getting to know each other. That's the whole movie. Dreaming about having sex with a female. <laughs> Yeah, I was gonna do like a, clap, a sort of like clap emoji, like don't forget the mermaid women. Yeah, <laughs> I um, guess I think there are sort of visions, though. That's true. 
again, this is uh, this is an A twenty four movie. It's directed by Robert Eggers, who, if you haven't seen this movie, The Witch, it's on Netflix. It's really fucking good. It, it doesn't have any like stars in it, but it is sort of this like uh, Salem witch trial era like paranoid. Sort it's of, a good one. Yeah, thriller horror ish movie. It's it's uh, a little similar to The Lighthouse in that it portrays a historical period very accurately but the accuracy of it kind of ups the horror because the witch is in you know colonial america in the in new england where basically all those lands were like frigid swamps that were riddled with disease and i don't know mortality rate of early settlers in the united states or what is currently the united states is was just astronomical so it plays up that element of it of the horror even before it gets into anything supernatural i think we have something similar with the lighthouse where the extreme brutal landscape uh, this new england island that is all is very far out to shore and all it has is this one lighthouse and these two dudes it becomes the setting like the desperation of it there's tons of chamber pot scenes and like storm scenes and like the desperation of it adds to, I guess, the horror elements of the movie. And I think before we get into it, I think it's important to talk about the two lead actors. This is a movie about, like, these two fellas. And you have Willem Dafoe, who, you know, you know him, you love him, you've seen him in a million things. He's perfect in this. It's, you know, playing basically the the Simpsons sea captain character. Um, Or, like, the flying Dutchman from SpongeBob. Sure. Um, And... Then you have Robert Pattinson, who continues on his trajectory of being an indie darling, uh, using that that cred, that uh, that movie star cred from Twilight, uh, you know, his first big role, to continue to you know help get these. Uh, he he gets a lot of smaller independent movies made. Uh, Darian, have you seen Good Time? Oh my God, I loved Good Time. Yeah, he's great in it. That's. Uh, you know the uncut gems uh safty brothers the their movie before uncut gems uh what do you think of pattinson i mean he, you know he's very pale he's very handsome he's very dainty but he's rugged in this you know he's doing manual labor i think it's sexy and i think that it has mass appeal um actually well actually i don't it's a very niche movie um he has him- mass appeal yeah, him being in it, I think, probably brought some people to the movie um, who uh, m- might have uh, not, not been ready. Yes. <laughs> um, so before, like, anyone speaks in the movie, you hear, like, farting, piss, and the foghorn. Just this endless foghorn. <laughs> think that does to create this sort of bleak atmosphere along with just like the crashing waves the rain and also the movie's in black and white i don't know if we mentioned that which is so a24 and oh. queer yes. <laughs> it's not only in black and white it's also shot in a one nineteen one aspect ratio which just makes it i don't know it's a weird like shape on the screen i don't know if you guys had the same experience yeah it's a square shaped like yeah it's like basically square and every picture, every scene kind of looks like either a postcard card or it looks like it, some hacky Twitter account, like the one perfect shot account or whatever would 
you know, retweet it and say like, this should <laughs> be studied in any films class or whatever. I hate that account. I wish they were banned. It's all <laughs> just like screenshots from Breaking Bad and like Avengers Endgame. God, I hate film Twitter. Oh, it's so virginal. It's for virgins. Yeah. Speaking of for virgins, uh, you know, one of the first things we see Robert Pattinson, who is... I get Ephraim is his name. Yes. Uh, he, he finds this sort of mermaid statuette in like what I think is like a, a fuck hole in his mattress. Like the first thing he finds is this sort of mattress uh, hole with a hole that where he's going to sleep, where the previous occupant was uh, having sex, sexual uh, thoughts or actions with this mermaid statuette. Yes. Yes. I, okay. I, I have, I also, I feel like we should set the stage too for anyone who hasn't seen it, but it's like, it's like Robert and, and what's his name? Spider-Man guy, uh, Willem Dafoe play white, white house keepers. And basically like Willem is the, the Dom and, um, Robert Pattinson is the sub and, um, he has to like do all the chores of the lighthouse and Willem like orders him around. And Willem won't let him anywhere near the light, like the the actual light in the lighthouse, which, as we're alluding to throughout the movie, tends to drive men like Robert Pattinson insane. Yes, there is immediately a sense that uh, Willem Dafoe, uh, Tom, is horny for the light. Um, It is not deep into the movie before we see him nude uh, in the light the light room of the lighthouse, uh, you know, ass out, perhaps having a sexual experience. He's covered in tentacles while he's having sex with the lighthouse or the light or whatever. There's, there's some weird stuff going on up there and we don't know yet what it is. Exactly. And while Tom is obsessed with the light in a sexual way, Ephraim is obsessed with, I guess his dreams about mer people or, or sirens in a sexual way, which comes up later on. It's a lot of like sloshing liquids. Like the, the sound mm. design is impeccable. One caption that, in the closed captioning that said sludge sloshing on my, in the copy that I watched. I saw this movie in theaters and I have to say it was essential to watch again with subtitles. You really uh, miss a lot in the sort of like Moby Dick that sort of elevated uh, uh, sort of theatrical language. Yes, I definitely watched the subtitles and that's just something interesting about me. (laughs) (laughs) Very quirky. I love that one scene where he's dragging like the oil keg, like the drum, like up the, up the lighthouse stairs you know, it's like he's dragging his giant chode. Like, it's like between his legs. <laughs> you know, it's clunking up the stairs. Everything is phallic, sort of, in this movie, I feel like. And I just feel like as as the, as things get worse, like, as the storm comes and as they, they're kind of, like, stuck together, it's like there's this sexual tension is growing between them. Uh, two quotes that you, you got to mention when talking about this movie from Willem Dafoe early on are, Boredom makes men to villains, and it's bad luck to kill a seabird. <laughs> oh, big time. I mean, plot-wise, that is one of the most crucial things that happens. Like, plot-wise, Ephraim, I guess, was a lumberman in, like, far north Canada. He keeps mentioning Hudson's Bay, 
And he makes his way towards being a wiki, someone who works on the lighthouse and ends up on this very remote island working with Tom. The pay is more because it's so remote and like undesirable of a post. Right. And we also get the sense that Ephraim had this kind of sordid history because he talks about how he's done basically every job since he became a lumberman. And clearly they were supposed to be like, what kind of man would want to be on this abandoned island so far out to shore? He must have some demons that he's trying to escape. And that becomes a thing. And also... Ephraim is pissed like this whole fucking movie. He is so mad. He's so mad at Tom. He's so mad at having to do like drudge work. He's clearly sexually frustrated. How about that one scene where he's getting lowered on the harness and like he just gets the like jizz paint like right on his face? (laughs) (laughs) Absolutely. I I don't know. I thought like, okay, the the way the, the, the paint is landing on him. And the way he's like, steady, steady. And then he just like, gets the thing. Like, this is cl-. I was like, come on. This is queer. No, I don't know. Yes. Thank you. So either way, the scene that you just mentioned or alluded to with that quote from Tom about the seabird, there is one point at which Ephraim just fucking loses it on a bird. And maybe it's a metaphor for an illusion of choking the chicken or masturbating, but he just starts slamming this bird and beating the shit out of it and killing and kills it. And this is supposedly what sets off the storm. He is supposedly before the storm hits supposed to leave the Island and go back to whatever job he would be doing on the mainland, but he's unable to leave because this brutal storm rolls in and that's when the movie gets real because he and tom just start drinking a ton of what i guess it's rum some kind of awful hard liquor and then they start to sort of dissociate and lose touch with reality get in touch with one another and ephraim is denying uh to drink earlier in the movie like he's very like i want to just play by the rules and like do the job and then i'm not here to make friends exactly and it kind of like devolves and apparently the reason why it's bad luck to kill a seabird is that uh they they hold the souls of dead sailors oh so that is uh again uh that scene of him killing the seagull is followed by more scenes of that like jizzy goo the tentacle uh imagery the lovecraftian uh, imagery. Um, once once they start to really drink, though, that's when things really get off go off the rails and get gay. How about that scene where he has to dump, they, he wakes up after getting drunk and uh, Ephraim has to like dump both of like the shit buckets, uh, like the chamber pots, and then he like dumps oh. it off of the cliff and just the shit just blows back at him. That scene in like the Big Lebowski, you mention it again. Um, you know, uh, the good night, sweet Prince Nash blows back at them. Uh, <laughs> right, right, he get, right. He gets shit uh, all over himself and he's just like, fuck! <laughs> Great scene. <laughs> like, and, oh, and then that's followed by a very, very vivid like sex dream with this mermaid with like a giant nipples. Yeah, he's, 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 honking on the mermaid tits uh she like screech is smiling at him but then she starts screeching like some kind of otherworldly lovecraftian beast 
it's one of his many reveries that he has about the mermaid. Oh, and then they realize that the rations aren't coming and all like the only box that they get from the the rations that were supposed to like, you know, come along with like relief to bring Ephraim back to shore. The only thing that's like makes it to them is like a, a crate of more uh, liquor. You hate to see it. Uh, Pattinson, uh, Ephraim uh, jerks off, uh, you know, holding the statuette, you know, again, just very, very uh, vulnerable performance from Pattinson, you know, is showing his full ass. Um, (laughs) This is a clear, you know, apparently the shoot for this movie was brutal. Like they really, uh, you know, I think with like a bare bones crew, like went to some actually remote fucking uh, location and, uh, you know. It was a it was a pretty tough uh, environment to film a movie in, and uh, you know shows in the kind of tension. And how about that that scene where they're just like uh, it, it's it devolves into just like them drunkenly slow dancing. I mean, this is this is the closest uh, they get and almost kissing. Absolutely, uh, a lot of I said this to Sam before we started, but I felt like there were a lot of scenes that were I don't I don't remember what movie this is from, but you know that like intro to film kind of. Uh, image where you see like the train going into the tunnel and it's like implying that they're having sex Uh, (laughs) a a lot of that in the lighthouse yeah it was very like allegorical um and like greek which is queer (laughs) they're like the greek gods and they're playing with the light at the top of the lighthouse which is like the uh immortality or like things that humans aren't supposed to touch sort of like things beyond their grasp. Meanwhile, they're definitely flirting a lot. And I think that there's like definitely this implication that like Tom or, or Ephraim like got sexual with the guy who was at his last job. And he was like, I accidentally killed the guy at his last job. But it seems like sort of a talented Mr. Ripley situation where he actually like, maybe there was something sexual there. And it seems like he's also sexually into uh, Willem Dafoe's character and, like, the more that the movie goes on, like, his desire seems like it's sort of pivoting from this mermaid figure or character into Tom. There's a and, scene of them yeah. fighting, and it literally just cuts to them on the floor, like, you know, in each other's arms. And, uh, you know, I think we're, we're able to construct whatever we, we, we uh, think is implied in, in between. Yeah, and in like that said, scene where they're like, where they almost kiss that we mentioned earlier, as soon as they sort of come to their senses and they're like, wait a minute, they and the re- and the moment leaves them, they start just physically fighting one another because they're, I don't know, their their heterosexuality clearly is like very fragile in this state. But what this, what the romantic dynamics of this remind me of is Joe Exotic's relationship, his multiple relationships in the Tiger King, like Joe Exotic is tom the lighthouse you know grizzled lighthouse keeper the man who is the master of this kind of divine force in in joe exotic's case that divine force is the is the tigers and the big cats like which have this undeniable appeal to people and is, which he uses to kind of ensnare his husbands and we find out in the course of the t- tiger king spoilers that basically most of uh, joe exotic's husbands were not did not live as gay men before they got married to Joe and they go into the way he kind of groomed his husbands. But it reminds me of how Tom is towards Ephraim. Ephraim is clearly like 
seems uncomfortable with having a homoerotic relationship with this old lighthouse keeper, but it's not purely a relationship between him and the lighthouse keeper. The lighthouse keeper also has kind of a three-way going with the light, like the divine force that he is truly in love with above everything else. So that's how I'm connecting it to something that is in the cultural zeitgeist today. There's also that scene near the end when, when it seems like they're really going to kill each other and Robert Pattinson's character has Willem Dafoe on a leash. I mean, <laughs> Carol Baskin had Howard Baskin on a leash. Yeah. Uh, it's basically shot for shot. The full simp. The um, full simp. <laughs> um, that scene where Efren admits that his name is actually Tom as well and that he took his partner's identity as Ephraim sort of as a way to start over uh, after he allowed his, his ex-partner in the timber indus- industry to, like, fall and get killed by a bunch of wood. And, he, <laughs> and then Willem Dafoe's Tom just keeps saying, you spilled your beans. <laughs> yeah, I mean, the gay undertones of being a lumberjack whose partner was crushed by just massive amounts of wood. I mean, as Darian would say, it's, it's queer. Thank you. The idea of spilling your beans is queer too. And then, and I think that also like once he reveals his name was Tom, like Willem Dafoe's character starts calling him Tommy. And it's almost like this like evolving of their relationship and like they're getting more intimate and it's like, he's calling him his secret name and it's all very gay. Just like what two men will get up to, you know, when they're alone together for too long. Pattinson tries to escape on a boat and Defoe, I'm just going to call them by the actors' names now because now we know them as both both as Tom. But Defoe uh, chops up the, the 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 lifeboat with an axe to prevent him from leaving his post. And weirdly, though, uh, Defoe says to Pattinson, "No, uh, you you destroyed the lifeboat." So it's we do kind of devolve into a sort of like. You know, this is very like Edgar Allan Poe, I think it was based on. But, you know, it's, it, you know, you don't really know what's reality, what's fantasy. Um, you know, what's a projection of sort of desire at this point, you know, kind of uh, Lynchian. Madness ensues. Uh, Pattinson criticizes Defoe for, uh, he's like, you smell like piss, jism, rotten dick, curdled foreskin. Really uh, <laughs> vivid language there. Oh, he goes yeah. in on his cooking, too, and he's like, if I had a steak, you know what I would do? I'd fuck it. And he's like, I thought you liked my lobster. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's very, like, domestic. They become sort of like a house couple. Pattinson realizes that Willem Dafoe's uh, Tom was trying to get him fired. Uh, he finds this sort of, like, ledger book where notes have been taken about Pattinson's sort of, like, unprofessional ness and this is a huge stab in the back because part of it was like oh he's drunk on the job and like uh, defoe had been the one encouraging him to drink on the job so it's very catty sort of uh queer un- <laughs> thank you and this is when this is when it all you know this is when the the final battle uh takes place uh sam do you want to go into how the relationship between the two men uh peaks here so i'm going by the notes that i took while i was pretty drunk watching the end of this by the end of this i was you know so my notes get kind of off the off the rails but 
what I have here is that Winslow begs to be, sorry, Winslow is, is Ephraim or Robert Pattinson, however we're referring to him now, but he begs to be allowed to see the light after he's been going in on Tom for a while and just like, you know, dissing him, insulting him, reading him for filth, et cetera, going off King, et cetera. And Tom blames Ephraim for being the reason that everything's gone wrong because he killed the gull and caused the form, the storm that is sealing their fate. Then the note that I have is that they fight. He turns into the white man, then the sexy mermaid, then a squid man. And then it ends up with Ephraim burying Thomas like in dirt. They have a fight again. He forces him to bark like a dog uh, and he marches him out <laughs> with the leash and makes him like bark. And then he buries Tom alive. Uh, Willem Dafoe is saying this like soliloquy and like spitting out dirt. It's a really uh, honestly kind of beautiful scene. <laughs> it looked, I, I thought the black and white of the dirt in his mouth and the, in his beard. It, I thought it was tremendously. Uh, yeah, especially because he's all yeah. wizened and his face is all like cracked by the sea and he's just like getting covered with dirt. And the, it, it, like you said, in black and white, is the effect of him becoming one with the dirt is very pronounced in the, in the way it's shot. Ephraim uh, Pattinson doing this, uh, burying Tom alive after seeing him as the sexy mermaid it's almost like he's like haunting his uh, sexual thoughts. So he wants to like crush that queer part of him, you know, of his desires. Uh, wouldn't you say? Yes, I would agree. As it turns out, uh, Ephraim realizes he forgot to get the key off of Tom before burying him. And there's a moment where you where you think that maybe he's trying to save Tom's life uh, and that he regrets what, what he's done, but he's actually just trying to like dig him up so he can get the key. Yep. And as he's going up, to see the light, Tom runs at him with an axe. Ephraim gets the axe and finally finishes the job, killing Willem Dafoe's Tom. And this is finally when Ephraim is able to reach the light and finally climax, uh, you know, in a real way. And the way Robert Pattinson's face, uh, the ecstasy of his, of, of his seemingly like orgasmic moment here finally seeing the light that he's been you know at the top of the lighthouse where he's been forbidden the entire movie like it's quite a moment but it's like too much for him i guess um he can't handle the light he can't handle like finally just you can't handle the light (laughs) so he falls down the spiral staircase in the lighthouse and in the final shot of the movie we see him the seabirds finally get their revenge and are eating at his uh, innards while he's still alive, uh, you know, on the rocks. Very Prometheus chained. Prometheus bound, that's what it's called. Never mind. Getting my classical illusions all fucked up here. Again, uh, you know, the mythology sort of ending where he's like forced to suffer for all eternity. Also just the horrific uh, seagull uh, cries at the end of it. It's definitely like the most horror moment of the movie, which I think is like, kind of marketed as a horror movie so darian why is this a gay 24 uh movie is it gayer than (laughs) midsommar 
I would say gayer. I, I mean, Midsommar is like a festival, which is gay in itself, but this is more of like two, two dudes going at it. Um, but I think that it's gay because I think that the movie is in many ways like a metaphor for Robert Pattinson's character trying to repress homosexuality and being like, no, I like girls. But like, I guess at one point he sees like the mermaid's giant vagina or whatever it's implied and then he's like scared of it. But I think that like, it's the implication here is really like he's trying to repress his own gayness, I think. In the end, he is able to do so by killing Willem Dafoe. But I think that that's like the undertone of it. Um, so it's super gay. I mean, it's not really subtext, even it's text. You know, I think it's also queer just because it's like, you know, you're at sea. Uh, it's like when you you move in with a boyfriend and you're like, spend too much time indoors and you're like getting a little bit sick of each other. I think that's sort of the type of metaphor, like the type of movie it is. Um, I also think of, a, I thought of a really funny alternate ending. Wait on us. Okay, so my alternate ending is like he 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 die, the, the other guy die, they both die, and then um, you zoom out of the lighthouse, and there's like a highway, and it's like current day. <laughs> <laughs> oh no, the village, right? Yeah, yeah so it's sort of like the village. I was gonna say, <laughs> yeah, so that would be or really it's just funny. like the Grinch, like they're all in a snow globe. <laughs> <laughs> that that's kind of a cop out. Like I don't like just the dream endings. Like I think that that's, but I like that too. I'm not trying to shit on your ending. That wasn't uh, fair of me. I appreciate your concern there, but no need because I think we got the ending that like we needed. Like we needed to see Pattinson. If there's one thing that he allowed this movie to do, it's like strip him of his dignity, and in the end, just getting you know disemboweled and picked clean by by the seabirds is. You know, and he's like nude. You know, <laughs> it's pretty bad. You know, he's getting his uh, he's getting his testes munched by a bunch of birds. I don't think, uh, you know, I don't think he's having much fun. It's a, yeah, this is so. This is definitely, as we establish, a very gay movie, but it's also a very good quarantine movie. I mean, they are literally quarantined together, kind of at each other's. You know, I've heard these days that like divorce rates and uh, domestic violence are both up because we're forced to share the same four walls with people who we thought we liked and thought we had this connection with. But it turns out apparently actually we hate one another deep inside. And that's sort of the dynamic between the two of them. They feel kinship. They feel a little sexual attraction. But what ultimately prevails is the fact that they fucking hate one another. And Inevitably, the virus in this would be just nature. I guess the storm and the fauna that being the, you know, the birds of the remote island they live on. And eventually it all catches up to him and he is fully victimized by nature the way that we're all just sort of sitting in, inside waiting for the virus to claim us for it to like pick my innards clean as I lay out in the outdoors. So very strong uh, quarantine vibes coming from this movie. Big quarantine energy. <laughs> BQE? Yeah, I agree. I think it's a good Brooklyn quarantine. I think, both, I think they're both good quarantine movies. Yeah, and, you know, 824, listen, you're stuck inside. These people make good work. I, I hope they survive, you know, not being able to release shit theatrically for a while because, honestly, uh, the cinematic landscape, as we discussed in the beginning, uh, is pretty bleak. Uh, in the beginning of the show, we talked about how like Doolittle is the third highest grossing movie of the year here. 
A24 is one of the only places releasing interesting shit wide. I mean, you wouldn't see Disney Plus uh, make The Lighthouse. (laughs) I agree. So thank you for your service, A24. And I hope that people can see these films as queer films after our uh, discourse. Yes, and Darian, uh, I know that New York comedy is not exactly uh, buzzing right now during this period of death and destruction, but do you have any uh, comedy projects to plug at this time and uh, plug your social media as well? Um, I appreciate it. Uh, I would say follow me on, at EatPreyLusk on, on Twitter and Instagram social media apps. Uh, I have some things in the works, like uh, some songs, uh, some comedy songs and some videos I'm working on. So if you follow me, there might be some good stuff. And I'm not going to, and I I don't think I have any real shows to advertise because everything has come to a screeching halt. But um, if I do an Instagram live show in the near future, that would be the best place to find out. And you wouldn't want to miss a party like that. What do you think of all of the Instagram live comedy being done at, at this time? It's, it's, not, it's not ideal. I like the resourcefulness of it, but, you know, I don't really know what to say. Like, if you thought Brooklyn comedy was painful before, <laughs> just wait. <laughs> anyway, thank you guys so much for having me. Thank you for joining us on the hog uh, planet here. And Sam, why is The Lighthouse a hog movie? I think that's pretty obvious at this point. I mean, they're, they're, they're confined hogs. That's what happens when, if you eat meat, if you're one of those sickos who ingests the blood and flesh of a formerly living being, I don't know anything about that life, but you know, if you are one of those people, you know you want to get that, the grass-fed, fucking free-range hogs. That's not what we're dealing with in the lighthouse. In the lighthouse, these are the worst kind of feedlot, dystopian, I mean, where we have Okja on the docket to discuss the Bong Joon-ho movie about very much uh, hog, like agriculture. It's probably the most hog planet movie that we will ever discuss. But this is in that vein. These two hogs are stuck in very close quarters. They're shitting in the same pot. They got to like dump it outside. They're, this is not how hogs should be. Hogs should be running free. They shouldn't be confined and quarantined you know, the way we all are now. So this is a good movie. It's symbolic of what we're all going through right now. Just pigs sitting around in our own muck, losing our minds and uh, dreaming about fish pussy. I mean, that's, that's what's, it's very real. It's living its truth. It's the moment. And that's where we're at. And remember to follow the show on Twitter at hog planet. Again, follow Darian at eat, pray, lusk, L U S K. At Spaventacular for me, uh, at Wag Stank for Sam, and I think we did it. I think that's it. Enjoy the quarantine. <laughs> <laughs>